Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Hey there, family. Everybody feeling well? Beautiful Sabbath day. I like the weather. Everybody else like the weather? I like the weather. I like the weather all the time in Florida. I know some of you say it's hot, but man, I like it all the time. Summer, winter, it's all good with me. I've heard there are people who like like uh, like like seasons. Yeah, you can travel to that. <laughs> I spent five years shoveling snow. Yeah, I love Florida. Speaking of love, we're in the midst of a series, in the midst of a series on love. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 7 defines the Bible's definition of what love is. We're told that God is love. We're told that God wants us to be like him because we are created in his image. And that image goes far beyond looking physically like God and goes to being like God, loving like God loves. And so that's why we're spending a little bit of time on this, really going in and digging into it and trying to really wrap our minds around what it means to love, not mildly, but love deeply. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the chance to be together. We thank you for the opportunity to reflect on what it means to love you well and to love those around us well. Help us to truly be your image bearers. We pray in your name. Amen. So this week, we're in 1 Corinthians 13. We've moved into verse 5 last week, and now we're in the the next phrase that's found in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. And different translations translate it differently. And so I'd like to show you the different ways that it can be translated out. So 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, after saying that love is not rude, says, love, New Living Translation, does not demand its own way. New American Standard Bible says love does not seek its own benefit. The New International Version says love is not self-seeking. The Contemporary English Version says love isn't selfish. And then one of my favorites, the Ken Wetmore paraphrase, says that love is selfless and flexible. I added the word flexible in there, not because selflessness really doesn't describe being flexible, because I think sometimes we leave that idea of flexibility out of selflessness. Sometimes our selflessness is a little bit rigid. There was a time in my life where I could do backbends. If you watch the, uh, the video, that time is long past. I cannot do a backbend. My flexibility has 
decreased. And sometimes that happens to us as we get older in life with our spiritual life as well. Sometimes we confuse our inflexibility with selflessness and with love. When in fact, God is asking us to, in his words, be like little children who are usually quite flexible. And so God wants us to be selfless and flexible as we go about our lives. When I think about selflessness, my mind always goes back to the most memorable agape feast I ever attended. Now, if you're not familiar with what an agape feast is and you're trying to figure that out, the word agape is the word love in Greek. Um, It's a selfless love. It's the love that's actually being talked about here in 1 Corinthians 13. And, And so what what agape feasts are is this when a bunch of Christians get together and they celebrate the Lord's Supper. They celebrate communion. They're, they're recreating this last supper that Jesus had with his disciples. And so usually there'll be some light food at these uh, events. There'll be um, the giving of and partaking of, of communion bread and wine. And In Seventh-day Adventist circles, we actually do something that the Gospels talk about Jesus doing, uh, which is washing each other's feet. And it's a really weird practice, to be honest with you, in the culture that we live in today. Because, you know, if I invited you over to my house, you would be really freaked out if I said, welcome to my house. May I now wash your feet? You, But that was a very common custom in Jesus' time. Um, because if you travel around barefoot or with sandals on, your feet are going to be pretty nasty. And so the kind thing for any host to do when you came into their home would be to wash their feet, to make them clean, just kind of the same way that you'd want to wash your hands before maybe you eat. They would do the same thing with their hands and their feet. But here's the thing about foot washing. Even in Jesus' time, it was nasty. Now, I want you to know that in Jesus' time, women didn't have a whole lot of rights. Wasn't a good thing. But women didn't have a whole lot of rights. But there was one thing that a married woman could not be compelled by her husband to do. And that was to wash his feet. That's what a terrible job this was. This is how much, even back then, it was not cool. It wasn't something. So even with all the inequity that there was in marriage at that time, that was something a husband absolutely could not force his wife to do for him was to wash his feet. It was the lowest of low jobs. So I want to set that up for you a little bit. So we are having at the church plant many years ago that I was a part of, as a part of the leadership team of this church plant, we had decided to have an agape feast. And it was, I think, one of the first ones we'd done. It was going to be super special. We wanted to make it intimate. So we found a... um, a room of adequate size, but what we didn't want, we wanted it to be small and intimate. So we kind of feared on how many people were going to be there. And we, we picked a room that would kind of create a, a close feeling. We really took time and decorate. I mean, we went all out. It was beautiful. Food was perfect. I was super excited. I was part of the leadership team, part of putting this together, put a lot of time and effort into it. And so the evening that this happens, we're there, we've set things up. And it is just absolutely pouring down rain. I mean, really, really pouring down rain. And as we are finishing getting things ready, one of our leadership team walks into the room 
and she's drenched because she just came in from outside. Her name was Glenda, and Glenda had one of the biggest hearts I've ever seen anywhere. She had a heart for anybody who was in distress. And there was a certain homeless man that had really taken a, a big place in her heart. His name was Rick. And Rick was in a wheelchair. And Rick would spend a lot of his time in this wheelchair underneath a bypass. And Glenda, like I said, had a huge heart for for Rick. And so she walks into the room and she says, hey, guys, Rick's out in my van. Can somebody go out and bring him in? Now, can I be honest with you? My heart is not as big as Glenda's. And I know Rick. I know who Rick is. And I know this is not going to go well. But a couple of our uh, guys say, yep, we'll go get Rick. They go get Rick. And sure enough, they wheel him into the small room. I mentioned that Rick was homeless, right? I mentioned to you that he was in a wheelchair, right? So as soon as he comes into this small, intimate space where we have prepared food, the aroma suddenly changes. The aroma now smells like urine and feces. I mean, and it's not like mild. It is pungent because he's been sitting in that wheelchair not being able to get out of it always to to do what needs to be done. And the room begins to smell. Now, you might think, okay, well, you know, Ken, have a, you know, have a heart, man. Have a heart. I didn't. I started feeling annoyed. I mean, we got into a lot of trouble. And here's the reason why I started feeling annoyed. Rick didn't want to be there. What the bleep, bleep, bleep did you bring me here for? Bleep, 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 bleep. I mean, cursing. I and I'm, I'm and I'm I, I said I was like Glenda he doesn't want to be here Let, you know <laughs> let's not have him here well Ken where's he going to get anything to eat we have food here okay but I mean it's, and it's this constant just ah what do you, you what do you mean this is a vegetarian meal blah, 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 blah. you know I mean just just constant ongoing and we're you know I've had this whole vision of this bonding, intimate time together where we're, you know, we're really getting into the word and experiencing Jesus together. And all I'm hearing is bad language and bad smells and, ah, I'm frustrated to say the least. We somehow manage to cram some food in our mouths and then we do our little worship and then it's time for the foot washing part of what we're going to do. And Glenda says, who's going to wash Rick's feet? And I thought, you've got to be kidding. I mean, foot washing is weird when you're an Adventist. But if you don't do that, it's like beyond weird. Rick doesn't want to have his feet washed. I wasn't wrong. But one of the most distinguished, most successful people in that room, a man by the name of Wes, 
immediately said, I'll do it. And I thought, oh, thank you, Wes, for taking one for the team. And Wes went over and knelt down beside Rick. And he said, Rick, can I take a look at your feet? Why, bleep, 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 would you want to do that? And Wes said, because it looks like you have had those shoes and socks on for a long time, and they're wet, and I'm a doctor, and I would like to look at your feet to see how they are. Well, I mean, bleep, bleep, okay. Now, I want you to know we're all washing each other's feet like this, right? And as bad as I thought the room had smelled before, as Wes peeled the socks, the urine, feces-encrusted socks off of Rick's feet, the room got even more pungent. And he took the shoes off of Rick. And I have never seen feet in such bad shape in my life. There was blood. There was skin coming off with the socks. His feet were, it was, it was not good. It did not look like he had clipped his toenails maybe in years. Uh, the curls, the, they're curling. And as Wes is taking these socks off, Rick is cursing him. Ow, bleep, bleep, what are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. And I will never forget watching Wes take that basin of water and gently wiping the crud off of those feet. I'll never forget watching him get aloe and some other soothing things and start rubbing that into the skin. I will never forget watching him say, does anybody have a pair of toenail clippers? And saying, Rick, is it okay if I clip your toenails? Beep, beep, beep. Ouch! Everything, you know, I mean, no gratitude, no appreciation from Rick. Just yelling. And when Wes had finished cleaning the feet up, bandaging them where they needed to be bandaged, clipping the toenails, somehow we found a, a fresh pair of socks, a fresh pair of shoes, and put them on Rick's feet. And no, there was not a thank you, not once. But I have never been part of an agape feast that changed my life more. Because to me, Wes perfectly embodied the idea of selflessness. Wes and Glinda embodied the idea of selflessness that Jesus was trying to share with his disciples when he washed their feet in an upper room. Selflessness is easy until you have to do something you don't want to do. And a lot of us get confused with what selflessness is because we think that we are being selfless with small acts 
when God is calling us to uncomfortableness. I am not proud of that story. I wish I had been the one who did what Wes did. I wish that unlike my feelings, I'd been like Glenda and saw the need and wanted to serve that need at that point in my life. But the Bible tells me that love does not demand its own way. I wanted to have the service that I thought needed to happen. God had something far more powerful planned for that evening. Love doesn't seek its own benefit. I wanted a service that benefited me. Love is not self-seeking. I was seeking after the things of God I thought, but I wasn't. I was seeking after a service that would make me feel happy about life. Love isn't selfish. Love is selfless and flexible. I want to go ahead and ask you to use your imagination however you do it best. If you do it best by closing your eyes, you're welcome to do that. I promise I won't think you're asleep. If you uh, do it best by just visualizing your head, that's fine. But I want you to use your imagination for a minute. And I want you to imagine yourself in an upper room with at least 13 people in it. They've walked in, they've realized that somebody dropped the ball and didn't bring anybody to wash feet. And again, this was the job of the lowest servant or a slave. And Jesus, as these men are trying to argue about who's going to be greatest and who's the best, Jesus gets down on his knees and takes a towel and a basin It begins washing their feet. And I really want you to picture this. Sometimes we skip over this, but think about how long it would take to properly wash 12 people's feet. Did Jesus hug each one of them afterwards and whisper a prayer in their ear? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But in my imagination, I can see it. Did when Jesus got get to Judas, who he knew was about to betray him. When he got there, did he stop and spend a little extra time on Judas? Did he hug Judas and whisper, I love you? Did he pray for Judas? Think about that. Think about the selflessness that it would take for the leader the God of the universe who created everything, to get on his knees, to wash the feet of each of these people and even the one that was about to betray him. He knew all 11 of them had good intentions. 11 of them had good intentions, but they were going to leave him too. He knew that Peter was going to deny him three times. He knew all of that, and yet he loved on each one of them selflessly. Why? Why? Because love does not demand its own way. Love doesn't seek its own benefit. Love isn't self-seeking. Love isn't selfish. Love is selfless and flexible. With your sanctified, holy imagination, I want you to be in the garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. 
I don't know if you've ever had something that you knew was going to be painful that you're going to go have to go do. But can you imagine Jesus knowing what was about to happen to him? The physical agony that he was about to go through, the emotional agony, the, the sins of the world being piled down on top of him. And he's, he's kneeling there, all of his disciples are asleep. They're not, they're not even praying with him. And can you see him in your, in your mind? Can you see the anguish? Can you see what he's, he's, he's experiencing? And he says, my God, please take this cup away from me. But then I want you to hear his words in your voice, in your mind, as he says, but not my will, but your will be done. Family, is that us? When God tells us to do something that we don't like through his word or through his inspiration in our lives, do we say, well, I don't like that, so I'm not going to do it. If I don't feel like it's a good thing for me, I'm not going to do it. Or do we respond like Jesus did and say, not what I want, but what you want, God. You help me do what's not comfortable. There's selflessness to our human, fellow human beings. There's flexibility for them. But there's also selflessness to God where we say, not what I want. What you're asking is not what I want but I'll do what you want because you are God and you know what's best. I now want you to imagine Jesus with his arms outstretched on the cross. I want you to see him willingly lay down on that cross, not be forced down, not be pinned down, but willingly lay down, put his hands out and his feet out. And I want you to see the nails being driven into his arms I know it's graphic, but it's what happened. I want you to hear what Jesus says. He doesn't curse them, but rather he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Unless we think that's the only time we need to forgive somebody when they don't know what they're doing. Let's keep in mind that Jesus forgave his disciples who abandoned him and knew what they were doing. And he forgave repeatedly throughout his life. Love does not demand its own way. It does not seek its own benefit. It is not self-seeking. It isn't selfish. Love is selfless and flexible. Love is selfless in its forgiveness. When it's easier not to forgive, love forgives anyway. Finally, I want you to see Jesus in your mind's eye hanging on that cross. Can you imagine him feeling the weight of the sins of the world on his shoulders? One of the things that we know about sin is that it separates us from God. It creates a barrier between us and God. Not a barrier that God wants, but one that we've put in place. And our sins became a barrier between Jesus and God. I want you to think about this for a second. The Bible tells us that Jesus had no beginning, that God has no beginning. And so for the first time ever, Jesus did not feel his father's presence. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've got two kids. I've got two kids and it would kill me to hear my kids say, dad, dad, why have you forsaken me? 
It would kill me to have my child feel that way. But God is love. And God so loved the world. He was so selfless. We're so tempted when we look at this. We think, well, God demands his own way. That's what the Ten Commandments are. And then there's all these other rules. He's demanding. No, that's not what those are. Those are God's loving ideas for you and I to keep us well. That's not about God. That's about us. It's about him caring about us. And the proof of who God is, the proof that God is love, is Jesus hanging on that cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God allowing it because he loves you and I so much. It's the proof of Jesus being on that cross and staying there because he loves us so much that he was willing to give up his eternity, not so that we would be forced to have eternity, but so that we could choose whether or not we want to accept the free gift. But you don't have to because love does not demand its own way. Jesus was willing to die physically forever so you could choose because love doesn't demand its own way. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. May we be like Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Ken, for that sermon. I was uh, moved, really. I, I, maybe I shouldn't sound so surprised, but I was, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I, was, I guess I wasn't expecting that about flexibility to be moved. I was just thinking about maybe we'd be hit over the head about how we need to be more flexible and not judge people is maybe what where I would thought that this would go, but I was pleasantly surprised by by the sermon today. Thank you so much. Um, we have a couple of questions in. One is um, from Denise, if I can find it again. Here we go. Um, can you talk about how we can practically, uh, in a practical way, how can we not be selfish in situations where we don't want to be? I think that the... I think our natural human direction is towards taking care of ourselves. And I think that's, um, it's just where we naturally tend to start to head. And so I think, I think that the secret isn't to try harder to be less selfless, to be more selfless. I think the secret, and it's, and it's kind of why I think maybe you were a little surprised by the sermon because I was, as I was pondering the sermon, because I definitely thought a little bit about talking, uh, you know, three easy steps to be more selfless or whatever, because, but there aren't, there aren't any three easy steps towards that. And, and what I thought is that I think that the secret is to, to, you know, in the words of that old song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And I think that as you look at him, he's what will transform you. I think that trying harder isn't, isn't really the secret. I think that, looking at Jesus, looking at his life and allowing that to seep in and be the model 
is what helps us become more like that. Um, and, and so that's my, if I were going to say there was one thing we ought to do is just spend more time thinking about Jesus. Um, one of our uh, founding members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church talked about how it would be good to spend thoughtful time every day thinking about the scenes of Jesus, the last scenes of Jesus' life. And I think that if we did that, we'd probably just naturally start being more selfless as we are inspired by what Jesus did for us. Yeah. um, No easy fix then in summary of how to be. No, there isn't. There isn't. And I I think one of the honest things is just to be honest with ourselves. I mean, I, you know, it's easy in the moment to not feel like we're being selfish, but I think that if we spend a little bit of time in self-reflection, we can kind of start seeing the areas of our life where we could grow um, and where there, there is a need for improvement. We have a couple more questions in, and I realized that I didn't give you guys a chance, but um, on you can join us on either the church website or on Facebook and put your comment in. And we only have time for one more question right now, but we might ask them at second service or we definitely will answer them during the podcast, which is called This Is Whole Life. Um, this one is, is kind of a hard question that may take more time. Um, but uh, Corbin asks, if God's all powerful, then why did he have to die on the cross to forgive us? Why not just say you are forgiven? Um, why did that have to be part of the plan? So that may be a super deep, long answer. Um, that is a super you have deep. have one minute. <laughs> I have one minute. I thought I had a minute and 30 seconds. Minute just, 30 you're trying seconds. to save 30 seconds for yourself at the end there. Um, so in 90 seconds or less, uh, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Um, well, you'll forgive me if um, I quote the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, but in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, the lion who represents uh, Christ, Aslan, um, dies on a stone table that has um, what I think C.S. Lewis calls deep magic. Um, there, and, and there's this conversation that happens between the lion and the witch about what needs to happen. And I think that there are, to, to summarize this question, it, the question, it, I, I would just say it this way. I think there are things that are hard for us to know and understand in our humanity. And I think that whatever the case may be, this is what did have to happen. And what we, I believe, is that if Lucifer didn't feel like it was fair, he would say so. And I don't think he's saying so. I think he knows that God has met whatever the deep, in C.S. Lewis's words, the deep magic, whatever is out there that requires this to have had to happen, that it happened and uh, in doing so. But the other, here's the other part. Okay. I know I, I'm way out of time, but here's it. I, I'm thinking on the fly. So here we go. Just bear with me really quick because I, I really want to answer this. I think that we have to recognize that the first thing that Satan accused God of was being selfish. Satan said, God, you're selfish. When all of us are out here doing your bidding and your will, that's you being selfish. You're making us do something that you don't actually have to personally do. And what Jesus proved on the cross was that that God is selfless. 
He is who he says he is. Because when Jesus died on the cross, there could be no question in anybody's mind about whether God was selfish or not, because Jesus was willing to give up his life for all of eternity, again, so that we could choose. And God was willing to allow his only begotten son to die, to feel abandoned, so that you and I could experience salvation. So the question of whether God is selfless or not has been answered unequivocally for all eternity. God is love. Amen. It, what was brought into question? Thank you. It, what was brought into question was His word, and therefore He couldn't just say, "Yeah, you're forgiven now." Yeah, essentially. If God had just said, "You guys are forgiven. This is what it is," then they would be like, "Yeah, okay. Well, why? Why is now Lucifer being punished if the rest of us are being forgiven?" And at some point, we all get to decide whether God is love and somebody we want to follow because He's loving, or we decide, "No, God, you're not loving. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live for myself." And, and so, um, so that's what it kind of comes down to. We may have to tackle that more in the podcast, but thank you guys so much. Uh, once again, uh, This Is Whole Life is a podcast that comes out every Wednesday morning. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Stanley. <clears throat> God is love, and he loves you beyond your wildest imagination. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Not well enough, but we do love you. We want to love you more. We want to be selfless the way that you are, but our nature pulls us back from that. Help us to be like you. Help us to put our eyes on you to allow you to transform and change us so that we can be selfless to a world that, that needs selfless people. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I love you. Go love your world. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace, and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.